Hello and welcome to I Thought I'd Be Rich By Now, the place for millennial women to obsess. I'm your host, Deborah. If you're enjoying this little independent podcast, please rate and review. Your support does way more than you can imagine to help out podcasts like this one that are done on a shoestring budget. And there are tens of you out there, tens of you. So thank you in advance. So let's jump right into it and talk about something that has been really big in media recently. Let's talk Nepo Babies. Nepo Babies is the Gen Z label for all of those young adults in Hollywood that are getting their start in show business from nepotism. You know, mummy and daddy connections and money, a tale as old as time. The reason I'm thinking about Nepo Babies is that Lily Depp Rose spoke about being a Nepo Baby or being labeled as a Nepo Baby in a new article, which I'm sure you've already heard about because it was trending everywhere. Lily, the actor and model, who is the daughter of Vanessa Parody and Johnny Depp, recently did an interview with Elle magazine as she has a new show coming out. The article in Elle was written by Veronique Highland, and she spoke about her feelings of being called a Nepo baby. So this is her quote. The internet seems to care a lot about that kind of stuff. People are going to have preconceived ideas about you or how you got there, and I can definitely say that nothing is going to get you the part except for being right for the part, she says. The internet cares a lot more about who your family is than the people who are casting you in things. Maybe you get your foot in the door, but you still just have your foot in the door. There's a lot of work that comes after that. So let me first say that this interview was interesting and you should all read it. It made me want to watch her new show where she plays a starring role in The Idol by HBO. I am critical of what she says about nepotism, but I really like how she comes across in this article. And I agree with a lot of the insights that she has about fame and audiences and of what people expect and demand of people in the public eye. I usually groan when celebrities seem like they're complaining about fame, but that's not what she's describing in this article overall. Lily Rose Depp protects what most people protect, their privacy. In a world where we're all obsessed with social media and detailing every moment, every event, and sharing every thought, she sounds mature and serious when asserting her right to not comment on her very famous father's very famous trial. She sounds genuine and kind and I think, like myself, people will see the quote that went viral and have a strong reaction to it, but if you take the time to read the full article, I think you'll come away really liking her. I did. She seems genuinely surprised and excited at being cast in the show, as I'm sure any actor trying to make it would be. She's grateful and has worked hard and takes her job seriously as one should, especially in that position. But I think it is illuminating to hear her take on this on nepotism. She simply doesn't know what she doesn't know. Her mother was a pop star and Chanel model. Her father is an Oscar-nominated actor that has been famous since he was like 20 years old. Lily Rose Depp has never lived in a life which her family wasn't extremely well-connected. Everyone is normal is a normal person in their own way, of course, but certain aspects to all of our lives are not the common person's experience. For so many of the kids growing up in celebrity land, their parents' friends are producers and casting directors and someone who can put in a good word or mention to a friend to give so-and-so the opportunity to audition. 
I agree with her. I don't think she's getting cast as a lead in an HBO show if she doesn't fit the bill of what the casting director is looking for. But if she thinks getting your foot in the door is a small thing for most struggling actors, she really exposed the gulf between the experience of what it's like growing up as a famous person's child versus a normie trying to make it in showbiz. What she said made me think of Fran Lebowitz's famous Vanity Fair essay. This was her quote. It is now common, and I use the word common in its every sense, to see interviews with up-and-coming young movie stars whose parents or even grandparents were themselves movie stars. And when the interviewer asks, did you find it an advantage to be the child of a major motion picture star? The answer is invariably, well, it gets you in the door, but after that, you've got to perform. You're on your own. This is ludicrous. Getting in the door is pretty much the entire game, especially in movie acting, which is, after all, hardly a profession notable for its rigor. So that was Fran Lewitz's famous quote. That essay is not about nepotism, but she used that as an example for a different point she was making. This whole conversation isn't even about Lily Rose Depp. It's about class. If your social life is filled with other people of your economic status, you don't realize that there are people your own age in towns from flyover country that have to save their pennies and sell their worldly possessions to move into a piece of garbage apartment in LA and work three jobs and have tons of roommates just to afford to live in the place in hopes of scoring an audition. If you can go, if you can go to acting classes full-time, debt-free, and don't have to worry about rent, it means you are starting a mile ahead. That's not even mentioning the help that a famous last name can give you. This is not to say that you want that help, but you can't deny that it's there. It's okay to be privileged and to have grown up so lucky in many ways that other people are not, but it seems like these celebrity children have this chip on their shoulder where they want to prove something so we don't all hate them for it. You don't have to pretend to have had some grand struggle to prove you're worthy. There are many struggles that very famous people have had to publicly go through that most of us are glad that we'll never have to experience and like on a worldwide stage where everyone's watching our every move. And we wouldn't want to change places with them when it comes to those scenarios. I would love to be rich, hence the name of this podcast. Most people are working hard so that their own kids don't have to have the same financial struggles as them. That's okay. It's a good thing and an enviable thing to be able to give your your children, your family security like that. Most of us who grew up in the opposite situation of that can tell you it's not fun. So people who make it in Hollywood without connections do so in spite of that reality. They got very lucky or have out of this world talent that again, they was luckily recognized by the right person. Don't feel bad that you're privileged. Just be good at your craft and prove you want to work hard and audiences will love you for it. Laura Dern is an amazing actress and one of my favorites and she's a Nepo baby. So is Jamie Lee Curtis and John David Washington and Zoe Kravitz and Dan Levy and Ben Stiller and Elizabeth Olsen and Gwyneth Paltrow and Michael Douglas and Kiefer Sutherland and Tracy Ellis Ross and Willow and Jaden Smith and the list never ends. Hollywood is littered with failed actors where their only real failure was that they lacked luck. 
You can celebrate your success and hard work without pretending that being born into a showbiz family maybe, just maybe, played a part in it. Major spoiler alert warning, I am going to be doing basically a full recap of the season of House of the Dragon. Um, I'm going to be including huge, huge spoilers. So if you want to watch the season first, you should stop now and go do so. I just want to preface this by saying I watched all of Game of Thrones. I never read any of the books. I loved Game of Thrones, but I am not one of these like deep dive nerds that knows everything, knows all of the history, like remembers every single thing. So I tried to do as best as I could with research to recap House of the Dragon without spoiling any future seasons for myself. So if I get anything wrong, you can send me hate mail like but I'm just letting you know up front, I never read the books and I'm not going to right now, especially because I don't want anything to be spoiled for me. I'm actually just lying. That's not the reason why I'm not going to read the books. It's because I like have 45 books on my reading list that I'm probably not going to get to um, until I'm 80 years old. And that's why House of the Dragon and Game of Thrones and blah, 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 blah are not on my list. Uh, so anyways, let's get back to business. Here's your background. House of the Dragon is set almost 200 years before the time of Game of Thrones and follows uh, House Targaryen. If you watch Game of Thrones, you will know that this is the family of Daenerys Targaryen, the mother of dragons. These are her ancestors. King Viserys Targaryen, played by Paddy Considine, is the level-headed king that is slow to anger, avoids conflict whenever possible, but flexes his power in the most crucial of times. He turned his kingdom on its head when he announced his firstborn child, a girl, as his future heir. That girl would grow up to be Princess Rhaenyra Targaryen, played by Emma Darcy. It wouldn't be a Game of Thrones show without some serious incest, of course. Princess Rhaenyra marries her cousin, Sir Laenor Valerian. I believe he would be considered her third cousin. He's gay, and she's not a virgin at the time of their marriage, because her uncle Damon got down and dirty with her. So they both know each other's secrets and vow to keep them. But her husband is part black and has white blonde hair, just like the hair of all of the other Targaryens and Valerians. But for some curious reason, Princess Rhaenyra and her husband, Sir Lanor's children, look nothing like Sir Lanor do not have white blonde hair like both their mother and father, but look very much like another man Princess Rhaenyra spends much of her time with, captain of the city watch of King's Landing, Sir Harwin Strong. Instead of white blonde hair, the children have dark brown hair, again, very much like Sir Harwin Strong's. During these years, Daemon Targaryen, brother of King Viserys, whose entire personality screams the son who doesn't have responsibilities like his older sibling, who has to actually govern, has been doing his best to cosplay as a nice guy. I know, after he seduced his young niece. But yes, he's playing a nice guy. A husband, a devoted father, a prince with no real roots. He and his family travel from place to place throughout the years, never staying in one kingdom too long. 
He briefly considered settling down in Pentos, but his wife yearns to raise their family at Driftmark, where she was born and raised. Her parents are Rhaenys Targaryen, aka the Queen That Never Was, and the first cousin of King Viserys, and her father is Lord Corlys Valerian, aka the Sea Snake, aka the Master of Driftmark. This family is extremely powerful and are part of the royal inner circle. So, to recap, Damon's niece, next in line to the throne, Rhaenyra, is married to Sir Lanor, and Sir Lanor's sister, Lena Valerian, is married to Damon. Hope you still get it. So the uncle and niece are technically brother and sister-in-laws, but thinking about it too long will break your brain. During Damon and Lena's time staying in Pentos, Lena goes into labor with the couple's third child. When it's evident that there's no way that she will be able to give birth without dying, she walks outside to find her dragon, Vagar, and commands Vagar to incinerate her. Earlier in the episode, she tells Damon that she's a dragon rider and does not want to be to die a comfortable death like other royals who sit in their castles. That's why she's so desperate to go back to Driftmark. Lena, unfortunately, never gets to see her homeland again, but she does get a dragon rider's death when Vagar engulfs her in flames and her stunned and distraught husband watches helplessly as his wife and unborn child are immolated. House of the Dragon has several intensely uncomfortable and disturbing scenes of women in the throes of pain and anguish giving birth. The scene in episode one where King Viserys instructed a doctor to perform a C-section on his wife, Emma, played by Shan Brooke, knowing full well that she would die a horrible and painful death, but wants a procedure inflicted on her anyways, just in hopes to have a male heir, like was truly horrific thing to watch. I looked away from the TV for most of it. Viserys becomes a more likable character as the season progressed, but I can never forget what he did to Ama. Justice for Ama. In the meantime, back in King's Landing, Sir Harwin Strong, the lover of Princess Rhaenyra, next in line to the Iron Throne, is basically banished. Harwin's father, who is the Hand of the King, warns his son that the whispers of his rumored parentage of Rhaenyra and Lanor's children is getting louder by the day and basically tells his son to get as far away as he can before the tides turn and he ends up with his head on a spike for the type of treasonous behavior he and Princess Rhaenyra have engaged in. He bids a tearful goodbye to his three sons that he can never ever claim, but he clearly loves. Unfortunately, Sir Harwin is killed soon after in a fire along with his own father. After Damon and Rhaenyra tragically lose their partners, Rhaenyra still has a husband, sort of. They see each other again for the first time in many years. Emma Darcy, who plays Rhaenyra, and Matt Smith, who plays Damon, have undeniable chemistry. They are extremely hot on screen, and yet, when I remember their bloodline and the fact that he seduced her as a very young woman, it always leaves me with the ick. But they clearly don't mind because they get down and dirty on a beach the first chance they have. They fall madly in love, but it's somewhat more than that. They are family, uncle and niece, and both love King Viserys deeply, but have a strained relationship with him as well. They uniquely understand what it's like to be in the innermost inner circle of true power and see all of the ways that it's the opposite of glamorous. 
the infighting, the betrayals, the constant, never-ending struggle for power, and closely monitoring the ever-changing list of friends who may one day be your enemies and vice versa. They were raised to value legacy and think generations into the future, not just for their own wants. With Damon and Rhaenyra's growing love, you may be thinking, where's Sir Laenor? Don't feel bad for Rhaenyra's husband, he's fine. He has his own hot lover and is kind of over his family, to the point where he and his lover, Sir Carl, his wife, Rhaenyra, and her uncle lover, Damon, hatch a plan to fake Sir Laenor's death so that he can sail into the sunset with his boyfriend and drop all responsibilities as a husband, father, and son. So what if he abandoned his kids and leaves his beloved parents reeling as they mourn for their very much still alive child? What Sir Lanner did to his parents, Corliss and Rhaenyra, is like actually horrible. Their son is murdered as far as they're concerned, and this comes not long after they lose their daughter to dragon fire. Their hearts have been ripped apart by these tragic losses, and they're basically left to raise their daughter's children because their son-in-law, Damon, is too busy lusting after his niece to pay close attention to his children. Then they have their fake grandchildren from their son's widow, and they don't seem to be too interested in those boys because they know their son did not sire those brown-haired boys. Soon after Leonor's fake death, Damon and Rhaenyra quickly and quietly get married before any one of their family or friends can object to it. This only reinforces Corliss and Rainey's suspicion that Damon and Rhaenyra had something to do with the untimely death of their son. Meanwhile, their son is probably sipping margarita somewhere on a beach with his family's memory in the rear view. What a dick. It becomes very clear that other members of the royal family and kingdom have observed the children's interesting features, most notably King Viserys' second wife, Queen Alicent Hightower. We are first introduced to Queen Alicent early in the series as she is the best friend of Rhaenyra Targaryen. When Rhaenyra's mother, Emma dies in that horrible childbirth scene in episode one, Alicent follows her scheming father's instructions. Otto Hightower wants the Hightower's name in the history books and basically tells his daughter, Alicent, to be there for the widowed king in any way that she can. Once Rhaenyra realizes that her friend is now basically vying for a role as her new stepmummy, the friendship is over. Both young women mourn the loss of their friendship privately, but both believe they are not wrong in their own choices. Alicent ascends to queen, and her father, who was previously Hand of the King, reclaims his former role at court. Otto's ultimate goal is to see one of his grandsons, so Alicent and Viserys' sons, sit on the Iron Throne instead of Rhaenyra, who he vehemently disagrees should have ever be named heir to the Iron Throne by her father. Rhaenyra and Alicent have a very strained relationship for various reasons. Alicent's original sin of marrying her BFF's dad, Rhaenyra lying to Alicent by claiming that she was a virgin at marriage, Rhaenyra being the heir to the throne over Alicent's sons, and Alicent being beyond frustrated at her husband's softness towards his daughter and always looking to view her in the best light even when presented with evidence of the contrary. Rhaenyra's son Lucerus slashing the face of Alicent's child Aemond, blinding him in one eye. For these reasons, the two women are like ice to each other. The last three episodes of House of the Dragon, so 8, 9, and 10, are so good. 
So in episode eight, this has now been six years since the sneeze, <laughs> the sea snake, Sir Corliss Valerian's son and daughter were killed. He left his wife and grandchildren to go to war at sea and his wife, Rainies, feels abandoned, obviously. Word reaches Rainies at Driftmark that her husband is on death's door after a battle. His brother, Sir Vaymond, Rainies' brother-in-law, appears at their home as he wants to be named heir of Driftmark so that none of his brother's faux-grandsons, so Rhaenyra Targaryen's fake Valerian children, don't get named as master of Driftmark. To make this claim, Sir Vaymond must petition the king at court, who is, of course, Rhaenyra's father. Throughout the years, King Viserys' health has been worsening, and his maesters, which are healers, have not been able to help him other than keep him doped up. Paddy Considine played this role beautifully, and the image of him in episode 8 using all of his might and strength to drag his ragged body across the court to sit in his iron throne was touching and tragic at once as he would do what he had to to be there for his daughter. What sealed the deal making this scene the most dramatic of the season was watching Prince Damon's swift and violent punishment doled out to defend his wife's honor and to cement his place and reputation as the protector of Princess Rhaenyra, heir to the Iron Throne. So what happened was when Sir Vaymond Valerian dares to speak up in court while arguing his claim to Driftmark in front of the king, he calls Rhaenyra's children, the grandchildren of the king, bastards, and calls Rhaenyra a whore. He shouldn't have done that. The king was ready to cut out his tongue, but before he could do anything, you just see Vaymond's head fall off its neck, and you see a bloody stump on his shoulders as Damon has just chopped his head off. Even if I'm spoiling this for you, I would still recommend just going back. Just watch that episode or watch that scene. It's so worth it. So, okay, I've been writing for a long time, so I'm just going to speed things up through the remaining two episodes. But for real, the last three episodes were amazing. At the end of episode eight, where Vayman gets his head chopped off, Rhaenyra, Damon, and their whole blended family sit down to dinner with King Viserys, Queen Alicent, and their pack of kids. King Viserys is so happy as this is the only time that at least from the audience's perspective that he has had all his children and grandchildren gathered together and he seems so happy and content even in his fragile state. Even Alicent tells Rhaenyra how much she has missed her and you see the glimpse of their former friendship. Of course, Alicent's second-born shithead son, Aemon, has to start stuff with his nephews, Rhaenyra's sons, before the night is through, and we did see these kids bickering throughout the season previously. At some point, Rhaenyra and Damon leave to go back to wherever they live. I'm not quite clear where they live. I don't know if it's still technically in King's Landing, but it seems quite far away, and I don't want to do much research into this as... I don't want to accidentally stumble over spoilers. But anyways, they leave the dinner. And the reason that this is important is they're not around for later on that night or that evening when King Viserys dies in bed alone. His death is so sad and realistic. I'm so happy for him that he did get that one last night with his family and wasn't witness to his son starting drama with everyone. But right before he dies, he tells his wife something which makes her believe that he has genuinely changed his mind about succession. That instead of Rhaenyra, 
their eldest child, Aegon, should inherit the throne. A massive caveat is that Rhaenyra also has a child named Aegon. Queen Alicent and her father, Hand of the now-dead king, keep the king's passing a secret as they scramble to secure support from their allies. They also race to find Aegon, the boy who never wanted to be king, and is just a mess of a man. They need to convince him that this is happening, it is his fate, and it is what his father wanted. Princess Rhaenys, meanwhile, is still at the palace and realizes that the room she's staying in is locked from the outside. When Queen Alicent finally comes to her room, she tells Rhaenys the truth about the situation and that they want her support and they want the support of Driftmark, which is Rhaenys' house. Rhaenys refused, so she will not be allowed to leave until the queen has a handle on the situation. Princess Rhaenys and the citizens of King's Landing are herded into the dragon pit to watch the surprise coronation of King Aegon as they are, as like the whole city is being told at once that King Viserys has died. As the coronation goes on, Rhaenys goes into the dragon holding area, hops on her dragon, and they burst a hole through the dragon pit, causing chaos and death to those in their way. But she does not attempt to hurt or kill the royal family, even if she doesn't support them and is still loyal to Rhaenyra. She flies her dragon to Rhaenyra in Daemon's castle to let her know that the king has died and that Aegon has usurped the throne. Rhaenyra still has many supporters and loyalists who pledge allegiance to her, including House Valerian, headed by Lord Corlys, who, surprise, didn't die at sea. Queen Alicent sends her father Otto to see Rhaenyra to offer her an olive branch of terms that, should she choose to accept, would see her live with many privileges for herself and children and their lives would not be at risk if she bends the knee to Aegon. Damon is aghast that Rhaenyra would even consider not fighting because he's like super pro-war. Rhaenyra sends out her sons on Dragonback to visit allies that she needs if she decides to go up against Aegon. Her son, Prince Lucerus, actually bumps in to Prince Aemond, the one who only has one eye, as they are both visiting the same people that their families want to shore up for the upcoming fight. Aemond is an a-hole, so he tries to threaten Lucerus and chases him on Dragonback. Remember when Damon's wife kills herself by Dragonfire? Well, her dragon was a massive one, and when she died, Vagor, the dragon, was basically taken by Prince Aemond, which caused a lot of drama between all of the royal kids. So now Aemond is chasing Lucerus through the sky while he rides one of the most powerful dragons. Aemond, although a shit and dangerous, he seems to not—he seems to just want to scare poor Lucerus more than anything. But then Aemond is shocked when the massive beast he rides no longer listens to his commands and just eats Lucerus and his dragon in two bites in the sky. Aemond has that shocked Pikachu face as he realized he made the biggest of big miscalculations. The season ends with Rhaenyra finding out that her beloved son has just been killed by one of Alicent's sons. So it's game on for season two. 
In conclusion, House of the Dragon did not feel like a slow burn. I felt like the writing was on point. It was packed with information, but didn't feel rushed. Some of the jumps in time felt like yada yada. Renera had like five kids between those two episodes and it's no big deal. So some of those were like a little startling, but overall they were fine. The acting was phenomenal and the cast felt fresh. All of these new faces, but supported by ones we did know well, like tied everything together. The show is so much more than Game of Thrones hype. Yes, it's very fun and cool to hear familiar names that you know later GOT cast members will be named after these ancestors of theirs, but House of the Dragon really stood on its own for me. In this recap, I didn't go into too much detail about Princess Rhaenys, but I loved her character. She is played by Eve Best, who you may know from Nurse Jackie. That was such a great show. I know I didn't finish it. I don't remember why, but I remember loving Eve's character in it. There are so many talented actors in the show. It's hard to say anyone steals the scene because I enjoyed watching so many of them. But like, wow, Eve Best plays Rainey's with subtlety, which makes her more powerful than you might think right off the bat because there are so many other people scheming and vying for power. Emma Darcy's a star, no other way to put it. Emma uses they, them pronouns, by the way. They're amazing as Princess Rhaenyra. You want to talk about like a powerhouse of an actor. They're only 30 years old, which is insane. Eight out of 10 times that I see a performance that blows me away, it's a Brit. I've talked about this before, but the Brits have like this artistic supremacy. It's crazy. They just dominate when it comes to acting. Steve Toussaint as Lord Corliss, aka the Sea Snake, a Brit. He played the powerful and power-hungry Corliss. He and Eve Best worked so well together in this. What I loved is that they actually had him and his family members wearing dreadlock wigs that actually looked decent. There have been so many terrible dreadlock wigs in Hollywood over the years, but luckily the wig technology has improved substantially. Olivia Cook as Alicent made you hate her at times and others you really felt for her and understood her position. Her scheming father Otto played by Reese Ephens. It's so funny when I think that that's that lovable idiot from Notting Hill and like in this show he's so devious and good at that role. Something I didn't bring up because there isn't enough time, but it's the fact that the first few episodes, key characters are actually being played by younger versions of themselves, including Renera and Alicent, played by Millie Alcock and Emily Carey. It was sad to see those actors disappear and then the adult versions take over, but it all worked out because both sets of actors were really excellent at playing those roles. I think you can watch House of the Dragon without watching Game of Thrones. It is a prequel, so you should not have to know anything that happens in the future to be able to watch and enjoy this. I, like half of the world, loved Game of Thrones. But it is a very heavy show with so many different characters and separate stories that House of the Dragon, even with its plethora of characters, comes across as a very straightforward story, even with all of its complexities in comparison to Game of Thrones. I loved Game of Thrones for what it was, but I am so enjoying this show for what it is. I'm sure one day an executive at HBO is going to decide that we need to revisit uh, GOT characters again and see what they're up to, but I'm glad that's not today and instead we get House of the Dragon. 
It has drama and dragons and violence and family issues and murder and adultery and scheming and lies and, of course, incest. I give it a 10. Thank you so much for listening. Please contact me on social media with any pop culture BS you may want to share or any recommendations of what I should be watching or reading or listening to. You can reach me on Instagram at I thought I'd be rich by now and via email at I thought I'd be rich by now at gmail.com. Thank you and see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.